The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's up, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you on this day after National Signing Day, Wednesday, excuse me, Thursday, February 8th. Eric, probably the least climactic National Signing Day that we've had in a long time because of the early signing period. We're going to get to that. But um, how did you celebrate National Signing Day? By doing nothing? I celebrated by going to UCF women's basketball. I guess yeah. number one ranked UConn and experience uh, that. That was my way of uh, of a joy, a celebration there. Plus, also I interviewed uh, head coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie. UCF softball, my friend, gets started this week, and that's really what I'm looking for. I know, I know. We've got that. You know, baseball's right around the corner too. Those are the two things we're going to get to in this edition of the podcast. Uh, we are going to hit on uh, obviously UCF women's basketball against number one UConn and. Uh, kind of deconstruct that result. We'll talk about men's basketball, and we will preview UCF softball on this edition as well with my main man, Eric Lopez, here, and an interview with head coach Renee Lores gillespie Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com and on facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Twitter, you can hit us up at UCF underscore banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo, and Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy for all the latest that we're doing uh, on the website. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Let's jump in, Eric. All right. We knew that when we looked at the women's basketball schedule that this was going to be, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a tough one. I thought, you know, as they come in, as they played Gino Oriema, number one undefeated UConn uh, yesterday, which was February 7th, Wednesday, Primetime uh, on ESPN3, also televised on SNY up north. And uh, this game turned out to have a really interesting plot. Murph was there. I so watched on I, TV. Yeah. You were there. <laughs> Everybody um, was there. It was packed yeah. from a media standpoint. I couldn't believe it. 6,100 people, most of them UConn fans. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, let's get the final score out of the way. It was 55-37 UConn. That was the final. Okay, um, Katie Lou Samuelson led UConn six of twelve from the field, nineteen points, six rebounds. She's really good. Five assists also. Um, for UCF, leading score was uh, Z Saunders, who was five of eighteen from the field, thirteen points, twelve points for KK Wright on five of fifteen. Here's where the plot thickens. All right, first quarter, UConn did UConn things, jumped on UCF all over the place, twenty-one to four at the end of the first. From there, and I'm doing the math real quickly in my head here. Um, the the it was final, 34, 33 30, UConn. That's right. The final three quarters were 34, 33 UConn. Okay. And if you want to go even expand on that, UCF outscored them in the second half, 25 to 18, including 17 to seven in the fourth quarter. Okay. Uh, so you know, I, I thought it was a solid performance. Okay. So 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 let me like, what do we make of that? Well, I'll make it. I'll tell you this, and taught because I got the chance to listen to both Gino Riemma and obviously uh, Coach uh, Abe afterwards in the post game. I, I think Abe has the formula 
to compete with UConn. I think she has a very good game plan, which is don't run with this team, first of all. And she even, in fact, will play the clip here in a moment. She talks, you know, she talks about the fact you, you got to play half court here. You don't want to just take a bad shot like five, tech, ten seconds into the shot clock. You missed a shot. Then UConn is off and running because they got the best athletes in the country when it comes to women's basketball. So as Coach James said here in the postgame, their, their game plan is real simple, and that's chew up that play clock, make them work on defense, and try to wear them out, and, and don't take bad shots. Right. If you get into a running match with UConn, you're toast. Yep. They, they will run you out of the gym. It'll be 100 to 20. Um, and so the trick is, you know, and we saw this last year's matchup too. Remember on New Year's Day? I think, uh, I think they, held U- they held UConn today to a season low in points, 55. Yep. Now UCF it's has, the, it's has the, a season low as well. It's the fewest points, by the way, UConn has scored uh, since joining the American Conference. Right, right. It's, as far as a conference game. So, okay. So... I think you're right. I thought that last year too, and I thought you know, e- even though UCF lost eighty to forty four up in uh, stores earlier this year, I thought you know it'd be interesting for us to get another shot at them at home, second time around, and just see what happens, right? And I think we saw some of that, and this is, I think this is going to raise some eyebrows uh, around the country. Kind of weird saying that you know an eighteen point loss raises eyebrows, but I think it does because. I thought it last year, and you're right. I think Coach Abe does have the formula that you can use to beat UConn. Now, I'm not saying they're going to beat him next year, or if they face him in the tournament, they're going to beat him in the tournament. I mean, UConn is still UConn. But you can kind of see, like, okay, if you, it, like you said, if you don't run with them, run the shot clock all the way down every single time. Make them work on defense. And then if you do what you didn't do in the first quarter, which is make some shots. Now, granted, the reason why they weren't making shots is because UConn's pretty damn good on defense, too. You know, But if you can find a way to just harass them and harangue them on defense, and then you catch a couple breaks. Maybe you get, maybe you get somebody who gets hot from the outside, right? Um, maybe you, you, know, you, you get some offensive rebounds and putbacks, and you just stay tight. That could be the formula to 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 knock them off, you know, maybe one day, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think even Gino Oriema admitted in the post game that his team was a little tired because they're not used to guarding a team for close to thirty seconds of possession because a lot of teams take shots quickly, 10, 15 seconds in, and boom, they're off and running. So I think that was part of the strategy. Is you part of the reason why you milk the clock is you shorten the game. You shorten the possessions. You give UConn less possessions, and you try to maybe wear them out defensively. Now, it's worth pointing out UConn was without their point guard. So, and, and Gino yeah. even said they're not the same offensively without their point guard, which has a hip injury. So, I think that played a role into it as well. And and and, but I, look, I think UCF's defense has proven it's very good. And even in the first meeting, when you mentioned up in stores, they held UConn to the fewest points in the first half all year that anybody's given up on UConn. So I think the formula is there. The problem is they don't – UCF doesn't have the shooting uh, to stay with UConn right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to take probably another year or two of recruiting uh, for, for her to get in there to be competitive. But I think they do match up style-wise. And even Gino said in the postgame that they play zone – Consistently, no matter what, they they've got their their kind of their culture there. They've got their and the reason the zone kind of works for them is because UConn is so big and lengthy 
that they can just dominate you one-on-one if you play man-to-man, you know, inside in particular. So I think part of the strategy is like, okay, we're going to play zone. We're going to get in your face, and you're going to shoot on top over over us. And, you know, they held UConn to four for 12 from the three-point line. That's basically yeah. the, the strategy there. Uh, you know, and, and it, you know, but that's, you know, the, the UConn's very good. And then, like I said, um, as, as Gino even sarcastically uh, said in the post game, you know, everybody in UConn, I'm sure, is panicking now over this result because they're supposed to win 150. And, you know, God, you know, God forbid that the, another team actually plays well. Right. <laughs> you know, so he, it's funny. I, I was fascinated by him in the post game. He'll take a little jokes at, at his own fan base. Um, there was a UConn reporter that asked him, uh, what's the identity of this team after this game? And he's like, the the same identity it's always been. Why would it change after tonight's game? What yeah. what why? Because we struggled. They only scored fifty five. So it is interesting that people kind of over. You know, he kind of yeah. his point was people overreact to every you know the performance. I think he likes uh, this challenge, and it was and it was interesting. He complimented Coach Abe and obviously Nikisha Sales and, and company, and and he thinks that they've got a good thing going here. And he feels if UCF can find some perimeter shooting and some perimeter offense, uh, that they could be a real uh, a tough team. They're, either, they're already tough, as he said. I'm paraphrasing what he said. They're already tough. So when you have the ultimate coach in the sport, uh, was nothing more than complimentary uh, to the staff in this program. So I, I think it was a very positive night uh, for the program. Uh, I thought they kept playing hard. They played all 40 minutes. Um, they were relentless. On a unique environment, and I think you're, what you're hoping for, even though, yes, you mentioned the 61-55, there was a, a ton of UConn fans. It was a, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. This was the first time I've seen UConn in person. I mean, outside the arena, I'm walking out to try to after the post game, and there's all these young girls standing outside, uh, held by a fence outside the UConn bus, hoping hoping to get autographs. It was like you would have thought the you know the you know the Beatles were in town or Justin yeah. Timberlake was in town to get oh, an autograph. Well, well it, if you're a young you know you know uh, you know young basketball player, a young female basketball player, that is your Beatles. You know, no, it is, uh, and that was. I mean, the, the student section had a lot of students that were mostly female, um, and so it was quite a scene from that standpoint. They are the show. Um, so I thought UCF represented themselves very well. Um, you know, I think obviously the issues are very clear. They can't shoot from the perimeter. They're 0 for 11 from the three-point line was UCF. Even Abe said that was probably too many threes. They know what their flaws are. But uh, the big thing now, I think, moving forward for UCF is now, and she even mentioned it, you can't let this game beat you twice. You know, there's mm-hmm. always that letdown, hangover, if you will. Now they got to go to Temple. You got to play there on Saturday. Don't you know? You, you still have a lot of things in front of you. You can still, you know, if you win out, you'll finish second place in the yeah. conference. Uh, so you can't let this game. This game doesn't define your season. What you want, your what you hope from a player standpoint, from your team standpoint, is you add more confidence to it, which they should. But don't you know have the hangover? I think that's the big thing now moving forward for them. And you know whether. People that were there for the first time uh, uh, against on Wednesday night could maybe decide to come back to watch the product against USF, uh, which is the big game on the uh, Sunday, the 18th. You know, that would be big for them, whether it happens or not. Who knows? But I thought overall it was a very positive night, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, competing UConn very hard and getting praised. And, and and quote and maybe you know from the ultimate person to get the praise for in this sport. If there's if there's some if if Coach Oriema validates what you're doing, 
to me, that's a huge stamp to your program. Yeah. A couple notes uh, in the box score that I wanted to bring up, that UCF held UConn to 6 of 21 from the field in the second half. Um, the Knights shot 0 for 11 from three-point range. Now, just to give you an idea here, I know that's over 50%. I know it's over 50%, but if they shot 6 of 11 from three-point range, they would have tied the game. So that well, kind of shows you. How, well, I mean, that, but, you know, that's not who they are, though. I mean, no, it's uh, not who they are. But but that kind of gives you an idea. Like if you get if you have some shooters and you get hot, right. it's a totally different game. So the standings well, right Gino, now. Right. Yeah. And that's what they're missing. That's what they're missing. And that's what they need. You know, again, she's only in her second year. Um, you know, I think in the next recruiting class or two, you hope that that's kind of that's something that I'm sure they'll address. Right. And that's something that Gino said. That's the only thing that they're really missing right now. The problem they're going to run into is like and even Abe mentioned it UConn it was interesting UConn usually plays man-to-man defense and they try to press you and go you know but in this game he decided to play zone and make UCF beat you from the perimeter and, yeah, well, and so that's, that's the and that's I, the blueprint right <laughs> for absolutely. a team that can't so shoot I, from the outside correct so I, I thought I, I was very fascinated by the, the chess match uh on both sides uh, Gino has mentioned he knows Abe for a while. They, I mean, she's coached in the Northeast. It was funny. Somebody in the media asked him, um, Coach, do you have any relationships or know any of the UCF coaches uh, on the staff? Seriously? <laughs> Someone asked him that? Yeah, somebody asked him that. And he's serious? like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, oh I, I'm not going to mention the name. I'm not going to embarrass the person. But it's a it, 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 he, he, of course, in typical typical Gino style, is like, yeah, yeah, I, I, there's that person named Sales that I kind of know. She she had a pretty all right career at UConn. And, yeah, she uh, did pretty good for a while. The Keisha Sales. So uh, it was funny how it's always – but you know this. We've been through – a lot of times in these type of games, people that don't cover the sport, don't follow the sport, cover this game, and don't do their homework. You would think, you know – you know, we everybody gets game notes and stuff. You would think that's an easy thing to look. Oh, Nikisha Sales played Goodness there, gracious. but no, nope, no, nope. it, it was it was funny. <laughs> I enjoyed that post game. It was a lengthy post game, but it was entertaining. Quick, I'm, I'm going to play those bites right now. Um, yes. we got first we got Coach Abe, and then we got Gino. So uh, so here's what, here's Coach Abe first, and then uh, Gino Oriema, head coach of UConn. Yeah, I mean that that's the key word: the grit, the determination, the fight. I mean, I'm uh, big picture. We're raising them to be. You know, strong, empowered women, and to fight, and you know, do do all those things. And um, I just, I never want them to quit. I don't care what the score is. I, I want them to fight through the whole game for 40 minutes because you just never know what's going to happen. And you know, I'm very proud of them. The first half it wasn't good, and then the second half, you know, we came out and we really fought. And you know, to out rebound a team like this is pretty amazing. And to hold this team to, you know, 18 points in the in 20 minutes is just remarkable and obviously that says a lot about our defense it says a lot about our press and that says a lot about our fitness I mean I said it last game our fitness is really pretty good and to be able to do that against this team that their pace is unbelievable is uh pretty amazing the players are better they they play harder they have a they have a plan they have a style of play that's unique to them you know um it's not like they're the only team in America to play zone you know it's not like the only they're the only team in America that can't make a three I mean, they just know what they're good at, and they stick with it. And, you know, they, their coaching staff recruits the kind of players that fit what they want to do. And, um, you know, if you want to beat them, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to outwork them because they work really, really hard. 
All right, so that was Coach Abe first, followed by uh, Gino Oriema. Uh, UCF right now in the standings, sixteen and eight overall, eight and three, tied for third currently in the American. Um, USF is in second at nine and two in the conference, and of course UConn at eleven uh, and zero. Oh. And I'm trying to check um, the schedules coming up. I haven't seen. I imagine that USF is going to be getting UConn here real soon, right? So let me at just... the end of the year, last game of the season. Okay. Um, it, uh, yeah, last game of the season. I believe it's at Connecticut. So, like I said, it, it, and I've said this now for the last couple of weeks, it's going to come down to the Sunday, February 18th. USF comes here to play UCF. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, you know. Granted, there's a long way to go. A game here or there could change things up. But for UCF, keep in mind, USF beat UCF earlier the year in Tampa. So that's a big game. If USF wins mm-hmm. that game, they'll have the tiebreaker over UCF. If UCF wins that game, they split the regular season, and now you know, you, you, you know, it, it, and, and that would put both of them at three losses, with USF still having to play UConn. Yeah, so UCF, in, I think would have the, that's the, right. the correct. So UCF would have the advantage on paper, but again, it's it, it, as you it, you know, it's worth emphasizing. That's why. This Temple game is big. You can't look past this game. You can't lose this game at Temple because all of the advantages would be negated. And, and that, you know, I mean, USF lost to Wichita State earlier this season. Mm-hmm. So you just never know in this conference um, as we head down the stretch here. One additional note, Houston does not play UConn again the rest of the year. Uh, but the Knights do have a game at Houston on February 24th. Yeah, That's their game. last yeah, road game, game of the Regular season that'll be on the American Digital Network. Next up for UCF, like you mentioned, Eric, Saturday at Temple. That's on the American Digital Network, and then uh, and then they have eight days off before the Sunday noon tilt with USF at home uh, on uh, February eighteenth, Sunday, February eighteenth at uh, CFE Arena. All right, let's jump over to men's basketball real quick because, well. You know, we were hoping that so much for turning the corner. Yeah, I, I mean, I really thought. But how big was that that loss on Saturday to Houston? I mean, they were right with them the entire game, but just the scoring just betrayed them. They could not find the shooting when they needed to. B.J. Taylor, I thought, ended up trying to do a little too much down the stretch, and uh, and Houston's good. And you got to find you got to find other guys out there. Who can I think this team just misses? having the shooting that Matt Williams gave him last year so much. 69-65 was the final on Saturday at home. Um, and then you come back after that. You go on the road to Cincinnati. Well, not really to Cincinnati. I mean, you're, you're play- they're, because of the arena renovations, they're playing at uh, uh, Northern Kentucky's gym. But, you know, Cincinnati's number six in the country Tuesday night. And you go in there and you get beat by 37, uh, 77 to 40. That was uh, That was a... Rough, rough game to watch. Um, you're down. They were down 20 uh, at halftime. Um, only one player in double figures for UCF was Cesar De Jesus. Um, UCF is a team shot, 28 percent for the game, 13 for 46, 0 for 14 from three point range. While Cincinnati, um, you know, 26 of 66. Let's you know, let's let's give some props to the defense on there, but. Um, but just uh, it, it was just a rough game. They hit 10-3, Cincinnati did, compared to UCF's zero, obviously. Um, you know, this is, this is the danger zone for UCF basketball because they got one more road game coming up Sunday at Memphis. That game is going to be on CBS Sports Network, 4 p.m. on Sunday, before they come home for the game against USF on Wednesday on Valentine's night. 
where where are we right now? Is the season you know they're right right now they're fourteen and nine, five and six in the league. Is there is there anything that you look at and you're like, okay, there's still reason to hope here that they can that they can you know that that they can finish strong. Well, you know, I, I, the Houston game hurts. That was the game that could have oh. gone either way. There, I mean, great, but they're good. I mean, Gray's Gray they, they is, told you he is unbelievable. He's going to win. He's he should really he good. should be. I think he's the player. He should be the player of the year in the American Conference. He made plays down the stretch. Um, so that was a tough one. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Brian Murphy. Him and I were obviously we're all three of us were at the Houston game. Yeah. And I remember during the Houston at some point during the Houston game, we talked about the Cincinnati game, and we both agreed their best shot to knock Cincinnati off was at home when they played that game earlier when it was forty nine thirty. We knew they were going to run into a buzzsaw. Cincinnati's really, really good. I mean, this is a team that I think yeah. probably is underrated in the they're nation legit. right now. I think they're a legit national title contender. The way they play defense, yeah, final, yeah, yeah, they, final they can stop anybody. You, you, you could see them just just tying a team like you know, yeah. you know, Duke, Carolina into knots. You know, trying to defend. Well, and, that, and what's scary is they've always been very good defensively under Mick Cronin, but he's got depth this year and firepower offensively. Yeah. That's what's make them. Like a week, a couple of weeks ago, they were down 18 to Houston in the first half and came all the way back and, you know, pulled away. So they've got with, you know, they've got talent and they've got depth. They have proven to be the best team in the league. They obviously look forward to see them play Wichita State, but they're better than Wichita State because right now one of the issues that Wichita State has had in the league is they've had struggles defensively. They could score, but they have had struggles defensively. So I think Cincinnati's legit. So I wasn't. I mean, I was shocked by the margin just because it got out of hand, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> but I wasn't shocked that it was a long night because Cincinnati is just really, really good. So now the question is, can they do something that no UCF basketball team has ever done before? And that's win at Memphis. <laughs> uh, and, no, and I Always think this a is a big, task, man. <laughs> it's, it sounds very cliche, but six and six is different than five and seven in the conference. It's a huge swing. Yeah. If you can win at Memphis, you're six and six. You're hosting USF, who's a bottom uh, of the team league. You can kind of get back uh, afloat here and try to finish near the top of the conference. You're, you're hoping maybe uh, I, I think Cincinnati, Wichita, Cincinnati, Wichita State and Houston are going to be the end up probably being the top three teams. Can you finish fourth or fifth? You know, I think that's what you're shooting for. If they lose to Memphis, now you're going to dig yourself from a hole there, and, and you wonder. Yeah. But look, this team, you mentioned they missed Matt Williams. They missed the production and shooting that Aubrey Dawkins was going to provide with this team. They that never got real, to see that. that yeah. You I know, mean, that was, and, and, looking and, back on it, that was a real. I, I feel like, you know, losing Taco Fall is obviously it hurts, but it's survivable to an, ex, to an extent. I mean, sure. your defense is going to suffer somewhat, but really, I don't think that it, it, but it, it hasn't suffered as badly as I thought. Losing Aubrey, and we, you know, we know how good he was going to beat you. We talked about the shooting, the inside-outside game. That that that's looking more and more right. like and, like the the thing that really turned the season around before they and, even played a game. And fans have to understand that because some people have been frustrated and all. And I get it. You you, know, you want to win. This thing's put together you, with duct tape and chicken wire, man. Well, I mean. Find me a college basketball team in the country, except for maybe a couple of exceptions, where I take away two of your three best players. And oh, the by the way, year. take away the third one for half the year. Right. How are they, how are they doing? You know? <laughs> so, and, and I'm talking, ma- I mean, major programs, I mean, struggle with that kind of stuff. Notre Dame, for example, uh, they've struggled without one of the best players in the country. One guy. 
So here's UCF, which is a mid-major, not a powerhouse of basketball. I don't think anybody should be offended by that. I mean, Johnny Dawkins in his second year is building his program. And he's literally, like you said, he's never had his three best players on the court at the same time this year. So, of course, they're going to struggle. I, I just think people have to be realistic about it. And it is what it is. And you're, fight, you're fighting an uphill battle in a great league, very shorthanded. And you can only overcome so much sometimes. Yeah, I, I, it's... It's 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 to use a uh, analogy from the movie Top Gun. I still don't think UCF is in an unrecoverable flat spin right now. Um, you know, especially like you like you said. You know, you get back to five hundred in conference. Um, if you can, you know, Memphis right now is vulnerable. They're also five and six in the conference. UCF is five and six. Um, I know they're at home, but you know it, it, this. This seems like it could be a winnable game for UCF if they if they sure. do some of the things that they're supposed to do right and can do right, right. Then you get that game against USF, who, like you said, is a bottom feeder, and you can be back above five hundred in the conference schedule with, um, you know, looking back. SMU a big with, game. SMU yeah, on SM- a Saturday, eleven a.m. tip, which is a big yeah. game. A and game that three you know. or four of your last six at home. Yep. You know, so they're not. It's not unrecoverable. Um, but they're going to have to hurry up because they're running out of time. So um, just a note on the schedule coming up. Obviously, there's the Memphis game. There's the South Florida game. And then uh, and then home February 17th for SMU. That's an 11 a.m. tip, by the way, on ESPNU. The USF game is on ESPN News on uh, Valentine's Day. 6 p.m. start uh, for that one. That should be a fun one. Um, and uh, yeah, But, we'll have, again, we'll have to see what happens on Sunday, 4 p.m. with that Memphis game because – and that'll be on CBS Sports Network too at FedEx Forum. Um, if boy, that would be one hell of a way to recover from um, from that loss. That admittedly excellent Cincinnati team. We a bounce back. There's some serious bounce back potential there. So, all right, let's. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, it's time to talk about some spring sports specifically. Eric Lopez's bread and butter, baby. UCF softball. We got head coach <laughs> Renee Lourdes Gillespie. Uh, we will get you all set for the softball season coming up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We're back right after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006. And he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. 
Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you can find all the latest uh, on UCF uh, sports from us as well as uh, Brian Murphy and Derek Warden, our uh, photographer-in-chief. Uh, and it's springtime. You know, we're going to start things up here, so make sure you keep an eye on it. Follow us on uh, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. You can follow us as we cover uh, UCF baseball and softball this spring, as well as basketball and all the other sports that UCF's got going on. We've got tennis stuff coming up. Uh, we've also got, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and also uh, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Speaking of which, softball time right around the corner. We're going to start our spring previews here in the next few weeks. And uh, we'll start with UCF uh, softball here, Eric Lopez. And uh, listen, folks, if you've been living <laughs> under a rock for the last 17 years, um, I would like to inform you that Eric Lopez is the source for UCF softball news and really national softball news now, Eric, considering the other gig that you got. But, um, but yeah, listen, Renee Lourdes Gillespie has, ha- has been the only head coach at UCF softball uh, ever since they started the program back when we were merely wet behind the years as freshman Eric Lopez, or I was a freshman at least, in 2001, 2002. Uh, and here we are, just a, a remarkable track record of success. And Eric, you had the chance to talk to her to uh, start the 2018 season. I did. I just had a recently chance to talk to Coach G and talk about the outlook for this season. It's a young team, two seniors only on this roster, but yet some experience back from last season. As uh, they begin this play this weekend at a at a uh, really a cool tournament that's debuting that uh, Coach Gillespie and UCF is involved with, which you'll talk about in the interview. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the outlook for this year's team. We'll talk about the success, by the way, of her coaching tree, big coaching tree that she's got and how she ended up at UCF here all the way back when she first decided to build this program from scratch. My interview with head coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie here on the Black and Go Banneret. All right, here joined by UCF softball head coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie in her 17th season. That 17th season of UCF softball, she's been a part every season. That That's a nice uh, – tone there uh, another season yeah it's, it's exciting I mean every year you have great players coming in that that's uh, trying to fill some big shoes from the year before and and it's uh, going to be a really exciting 2018 for us let's talk first about your 2018 team uh, it's only got two seniors on the roster it's still a very young roster but yet you do have players coming back from last season so it's a unique roster in that it's got experience but it's still very young yeah, we, we are very young. Um, you know, our two seniors are, are great leaders for us, Courtney and, and Megan. They do a great job on, on kind of handing down the, the expectations of this team and of this program. The, those were the two that, that were there with conference championships, so they know how to get back there, how, how to get to the regionals and, and how to work hard. So um, they're passing down the torch and, and really working hard with a new freshman 
class coming in, which, which is a very strong freshman class for us. You speak of Courtney Roden and Megan Greenwell. They were part of your 2015 team that won the regular season and conference championship, ranked in the top 16. Have you noticed that they've kind of taken control of this team? Has that been part of it, only being the only two seniors, knowing what it's like to be at the top? Uh, have they kind of, you know, sometimes I've seen it with when you turn into a senior, you're kind of a different person that year because you know it's your last year. Yeah, I, I think you have that tendency to, to kind of look to the next stage when you're a senior, but um, you look at Courtney and, and Megan and they're very strong in, in what they want from the season and, and what they expect out of their teammates and um, both of them lead in different ways, but but they are coming out with a very strong sense of, of accomplishment of what they want to accomplish this year of, of being able to get to a super regional, being able to, to have that opportunity of postseason play. So um, they, they're feeding that into the rest of the team and they're, they're very excited about what the season will, will have for us. Another player people know about, Cassidy Brewer, of course, entering her junior year, can catch, can play first, can play second. Does it all for your team. Uh, talk about her, how she's looking here, getting into her. Hard to believe. It's her junior season. I thought yesterday she just walked on campus, but yeah, here it, we are. She's already a junior. It does feel that way. I mean, with, with Cassie, you know, she was one of the first ones that we, we knew since she was a ninth grader in high school and, and followed her with her older sister um, playing for us at first base. And, and now she's out coaching with uh, um, Danielle. And, and you see Cassidy really coming in and, and being a great junior for us. She's the only returning junior we have, along with, with two transfers, um, with Brooke at first base and, and Aaron at, at short. Um, but Cassie's kind of you know, locking in that junior class, and, and she's been one of our top hitters for the last three years. And, you know, we're looking for her to be in her third season, be able to do that for us again. And that's the thing. She's so valuable, not only for what she could do with her bat, but what she does kind of defensively. She calls a good game as a catcher. If you need her to play first, she can play first. She can play second, which is very important in softball. You need to have a, when your player can play multiple positions and you ask them to do it, and they can do it at a high level. Yeah, she's definitely one that, that can play a lot of different positions for us. Um, we're, we're very fortunate that, you know, her freshman year, she played a lot at second base and, and played a little bit at first base. And, and now, last year, we needed her as a catcher. She stepped right in and did a great job with, with helping out as a, as a key catcher last year um, and again this year I mean she's she's coming in with um, you know with with a lot of experience behind the plate a lot of experience of calling some big games for us last year um, she's caught Aaliyah for a full year so they know each other really well and and that combination is, is going to be really strong um, we also have um, Alyssa Oaks that's coming in as a transfer that's actually going to be helping us uh, helping us out behind the plate also with with uh, Cassidy young girl that used to come to your games 10 years ago. Uh, that's yeah. kind of wild now where you're starting to get players that came and, and watched your program play and, and now here we are 10 years later she wanted to be a UCF Knight because she came to games like 10 years ago. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun when, when we uh, got her in and got her signed and we got a little picture back that um, she had on her birthday while she was here on the field. As a, as I think she was 10 years old on that birthday and came out and threw out the first pitch and, and got to be a part of our program to have her here now, you know, seven, eight years later, it's really a neat experience to have that. You mentioned, obviously, the rest of the infield, obviously, shortstops. Always the question, Brittany Solis, a four-year starter. You've had three shortstops that have started all four years of their career. Stephanie Best, who's in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Tiffany Lane, who's part of two NCAA tournament teams, including the 08 Conference USA Championship team. And Brittany Solis, who was part of two championship teams, 2015 American Conference champion, 2014 American Conference champion, a three-time NCAA tournament appearance. Not an accident that she was a part of that, and people may kind of be surprised. They might look at the offensive numbers. They didn't jump out, but was a great defensive player. So 
now you got to fill that position. It's an important position for your defense. Uh, how is the shortstop looking? Yeah, you know, when you talk about that, I mean, we had some great shortstops over the years. It is a very uh, tough position to fill with, with the amount of talent that we've had in the last, you know, 17 years. Um, you know, and we're looking, Erin coming in, she's a transfer um, from Idaho, and she she's, uh, just does a great job at shortstop. She's a, a definite leader coming in as a junior, so she's got experience in, under her belt. Um, Aubrey's been playing shortstop. She, she was a second baseman last year for us, and she's moved over to shortstop, doing a great job at short for us. And then Caitlin, um, she came in and, and really is kind of a third baseman, but also a shortstop, played shortstop in high school, and um, is kind of filling in that hole over there also. Um, and then we just you know, have great, you know, a great comeback now with Tamisha that they can play short and third. So Tamisha is, is now um, back on the roster and really looking to, to get some, some uh, depth in, in any one of those positions with her help. Certainly. You mentioned Aaron Emanuels, the transfer from uh, Montana, played in uh, Southern Idaho. Uh, obviously, position to be the shortstop. You mentioned Caitlin Jentz. We'll get to her in a minute. Tamisha Glover, as you referred to, got hurt last season, got hurt in the Houston series, and that was a big loss for the team, not to make excuses for last season, but she was a middle-of-the-bat lineup hitter that you lost her for the rest of the year, and uh, it, it's kind of a what-if. If she mm-hmm. stays the whole year, maybe we're talking about an NCAA tournament team. That's how valuable she was. How huge is it now to get her back? Uh, really, maybe sooner than some people would have thought when she went down. Down last season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about where our season could have been last year, you know, and that, and that was a big key when we lost her and, and lost her in the lineup as well as a, a great defensive player for us. Um, that was a tough loss. And um, you see her coming back and, and being able to get back on the roster after that, that tough injury and, and being able to be back out there this year. And she can lock down either position, a shortstop or third base. So she's very versatile for us on, on that side of the field. Um, but also getting her back in the lineup, like you said, we, we need her back in the lineup. She's one of our key key hitters outside of Brewer and and really going to and Courtney and and really going to be able to to be that power hitter that that consistent hitting that that we really need in the lineup. Let's talk about some of the newcomers you've got on this season's team. You mentioned Caitlin Jensen, obviously a local kid, can play third, play short. We'll talk about her. Haley Bejarano, freshman out of uh, Arizona. She's got coming in, could play the all, all outfield positions. Let's talk, start with those two new, newcomers, and we'll work our way. Uh, your thoughts on those two? Yeah, with, with Haley, I mean, she brings just a great leadership as a freshman. Um, I see her stepping up and, and playing a lot of different positions. Again, she plays first base and outfield, so she's very versatile for us. Um, has has a big bat herself. You know, it's going to be tough this year because we have a lot of good hitters, and and it's going to really come up to who's going to be hitting and who's going to be playing defense um, for this season. But um, Haley does a really good job, and and you look at Denali that that's also came in. And Denali's doing a wonderful job as a freshman. A um, lot of speed, um, just a lot of energy out there in the outfield, and and kind of fills in a lot of holes for us that we need in that position. Also, you mentioned Denali uh, Shawpacker, freshman out of Bradenton, Florida. Number, where's number five? I keep thinking of Willow Callanan's yeah. gun arm, and that's what she's got. That's what you've got in your outfield with Klarkowski, Kira Klarkowski back. She's got a big arm. You've got a Shopacker, big arm, and then Greenwell maybe has the doesn't have the big arm, but of course she was part of the historic triple play last year against Memphis. So you got a lot of depth on outfield and, a, and, a, and players that can cover a lot of range. Well, we, we have a, a, a lot of experience in the outfield. I mean, look at Megan as a senior, and then Kira come back as, as a key um, outfielder as a freshman last year for us, and, and you 
you talk about a rocket arm, that kid, she, she's just incredible whenever she lets that thing loose. Um, so she's got a lot of support in the outfield for us, a lot of um, um, experience in the outfield on those two coming back from last year's season. Um, Megan's definitely going to be the leader out there. She's looking at center field, going to be able to lock it down. And, and um, you know, don't, don't hold back Megan's arm because uh, she's been working hard on that, and, and she's been throwing a lot of runners out at home this last year. So she takes a lot of pride on that and, and being able to be as, as strong of a thrower as Kira. It's tough, but she's, she's working towards that. No, she's uh, legit. I try to tease her about that a little bit, but that tells you the strength you have of your outfield, that you got a lot of arms options there. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, other newcomers. you got Kendall Lang from Texas that could play the infield as well. Uh, it, Brooke Barlow transferred out of Jacksonville, Florida. Talk about those two, what they bring to the table. Well, they look at Brooke. She's coming in from Central Florida, one of the key um, junior college teams here in, in Florida. I mean, just does a fantastic job. She uh, played first base for him. She's also an outfielder out of high school. So, again, you got between her and Haley being able to play those two positions at first base and outfield is, is easy to be able to switch them in and out easily. Um, you know, you, you look at down, down the road, we also have Kendall Lang that, that she's versatile. She plays a little bit um, second base, outfield, a lot of speed, um, slapper. She's going to give us a lot of versatility as well um, you got Jasmine that's, that's going to be coming back um, you know she's been out, yep. out yep. for a couple of weeks but she's um, back and she's going to be strong also as a first baseman um, play second place play shortstop you know a lot of depth in those areas um, she's going to give us a, a lot of uh, power in the in the lineup as well um, coming back as a, as a starting freshman last year and now um, having that kind of experience is definitely going to help us um, but then you look at uh, uh, you know some of the pitchers you talk about Aaliyah White you know that's going back and be one of the strong strong pitchers this year. Um, her experience last year playing, you know, 20 of the top 25 top teams in the country, you know, and being able to go home as a freshman, I mean, she's going to be incredible this year. Um, just what, have that experience. What have you noticed about her? Because last year she came in under the gun. Uh, yeah, I noticed she threw a lot in the summer coming from high school, and there was a big adjustment, as there always is. Uh, but, I mean, if you take away, other than Mackenzie Otis's freshman year in 2012, no other UCF pitchers had a better year than Aaliyah did, considering all things. And now she's got a year under her belt. What have you noticed different about her uh, from, at this point, last year to now? I, I think more swag. I mean, she, she just has that um, understanding that she can go against anybody. And, and her pitches are, are um, so much better than it was last year, you know, just, just the uncertainty on, on some of her pitches. You know, she's she's got the changeup that's working for her great this year and, and more consistent. Um, she's got a nice little drop that she's working on all last year, and, and that's looking really good for her this year. Uh, but then her, you know, key with, with the curveball, screwball, I mean, she throws everything. She 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 works really hard around the batter. She works at the batter. She's not afraid of going after anybody, and, and she just has that experience that she had last year that's bringing into this year to make her that much more confident. You got Cameron Tony behind her. You got Tamara behind her. Uh, you've actually got a little more depth in there. You recently just added Sierra Wood, who is a walk-on now as a pitching. So talk about the rest of the staff here. It's still young. Again, it's hard to believe. It's it's all sophomores except for Sierra, who's a freshman. Uh, I remember I've talked to Shelby Turner. He was your All-American pitcher. And she right. said it took her about a year or two before everything kind of clicked and it made sense. Is that kind of what you expect from this pitching staff, having gone through the ups and downs from last year and the experience that, you know, as you get in this season now there's certain things that will click that didn't click last year. Absolutely. I mean, you look at as relying on freshmen last year to, to go through the season was tough. You know, we, we lost our senior pitcher um, and our freshmen had to step up and they did a great job last year um, being able to, to lock a lot of games down for us and now being being able to have them back between
between Aaliyah and and Demera and and Cameron. Those three are just the dynamic group of, of pitchers. You know, they they working so hard together and and uh, definitely feed off of each other. Um, each of them have a little bit different technique, so you're seeing something different every time that they're. Um, pitching, so you're giving a lot of depth, which is which helping us out. Um, and then Sierra did a great job of coming in, being being a walk on, helping us out this year. Um, um, just a great kid, working hard. She she's going to be a, a surprise this year. I think you're going to see a lot of great things from her this year. It's a young group, and, and I know you've got an exciting class coming in next year that's going to add to next year's team. That's one of the highest, uh, actually, uh, rankings as far as you've ever had as far as recruiting classes is concerned. It reminds me a little bit of that group that you started in 2012 with Ferris Sullivan, McKenzie, Novak, yep. and you added pieces. So you add Shelby after the year after that. You added the Yuvaris after that, and then it just kind of went on that big run. Do you kind of feel like you're kind of in that process again here where you're kind of building this team to make a kind of a nice three, four big year run here? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's tough, um, especially being able to find the depth that you need. You know, we're, we struggle um, to, to keep that depth. And this year we have a lot of depth in every position. Um, you know, we're, we have a, a great pitcher coming in next year and a catcher. Um, um, the, the versatility we have of the players that are going to be coming in next year are definitely going to give us a lot of strength and, and um, build us for the, the future. Um, we're, we're looking at this year being that base for us. You know, we, we definitely have the, the, the young team, the freshmen and sophomores that are basically um, leading this team for the next four years. And it's, it's going to be fun to watch them and, and see what they're capable of doing with the new kids coming in in the next four years. Um, but, I, you know, I want to mention also Kaylee, uh, Kaylee Massetti and, and Allie, that, that those two are very hey, versatile. Little, yep. Yeah. They, you know, it's, it's fun to watch them. Those are the kids that, that really are our spark on the team. You know, they, they keep it light. They work hard. They're the kids that can go, you know, pretty much anywhere. Kaylee's um, at third base and outfield. And, and Allie plays outfield and, and really pushes the other team. So, you know, they're the players. So she, you know, we got a great group of kids and I, and I know they're young and, and they know they're young, but that's not going to stop them from going after anybody. And that's, what's exciting about this, this season. Talk about where you're opening the season. Cause you're not going to be at home, <laughs> but you're kind of be kind of hosting this tournament. I know it's something you've been working on for a long time. You got a great field it's an 18 field. You're going to open, you got Louisville in this field, or you're going to open with, you got Illinois from the big 10 who made the tournament last year is in this field. Other teams in this field include all, also South Alabama, UNF, uh, among others. Uh, talk about this field and, and, and the cause and how you kind of put this tournament together. Yeah, well, you know, we always have the opening weekend at home, and, and we've done that for 17 years, 16 years, so 17 years. We're looking now at expanding. We had a lot of interest to, to come down here to UCF on that first season out. So um, we had the opportunity with Seminole County. They, they um, actually went out and built a six-field fast-pitch complex, and it's the first time in, the, in our area to have that and we wanted to be able to support Seminole County we wanted to be able to support what they were doing um, we're actually hosting this as a fundraiser for the Friends of Jacqueline which is um, Kay Clark is one of our, our daughters here that we adopted uh, several years ago um, through the Friends of Jacqueline organization and uh, we wanted to give something back to them it's, it's a it's a great organization what they do with, with children with, with brain tumors that um, are really fighting for their lives and, and they're finding that the um, athletic programs um, college athletic programs is a great way to help them find support for these young ladies and, and young men um, to help them through that fight. And we're seeing some great results from, from the Friends of Jacqueline organization on, on helping these kids get through a very, very tough time in their life. So um, we're excited to be able to host this for the Friends of Jacqueline and, and build that, that basis team. And we're hoping to you know every year build this up and, and be that Palm Springs of, of the East.
East Coast. That's right. We don't have that marquee East Coast tournament like they do in Palm Springs at Mary Nutter, which you participated in the last two seasons. And I think that would be kind of cool to have that East Coast version of that. North Carolina is also in this field. So there's a lot of quality in this field. So you're going to get challenged right away. We will. A good challenge for your team. And then I know you got a D9 uh, tournament. You're going to participate Friday. Then you come home where you host Texas Tech. Your old uh, <laughs> stomping grounds where yep. you coached there yep. a long time. People have asked me this uh, uh, often, so I'll ask you this. How did you end up – what made you decide to come to UCF? Because you were having success at Texas Tech. You had success other places. But you uh, you decided to come here and build this program literally from scratch. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's tough. It was tough to leave Texas Tech. I mean, we, we had a great program. We were in regional finals against Fresno State in, in our third season and, and did a, a great job, you know, with that program, building that program. We Actually, I went, went in and reinstated that that program in, in 95. Um, and it was a great experience for, for me to be a part of that. Um, that helped me get this job. I, I believe that with them starting a new program, have gone through that and had the experience of, of doing that at Texas Tech. Um, when this job opened up, it was a great opportunity for me to do the same thing, to start a program and, and build it to, and be competitive in, in the Division One level. So um, it's tough to say that, you know, when Orlando calls that you don't, you don't go, you know. But um, when Orlando calls and UCF um, – wanted to start a program and, and felt like they were going to give me a, a year to recruit and, and be able to start this program the right way and have a facility that we could recruit to. Um, it, it was a no-brainer. It was a, it was a great opportunity for me. And really, I mean, the, the state has grown significantly from a power standpoint in college softball. We've talked about it. Florida's obviously had their success. Florida State, USF, UCF, we're now in the same conference as them. FAU, FIU goes on and on. The competition in this state is similar. I tell people it's similar to what it is in football now. It's, it's, a, it's a year-round recruiting battle, but a lot of high-quality competition now to the point where I think we're close to the day where we should have three teams hosting regionals maybe on a consistent basis like we do in baseball. Oh, absolutely. I think we were probably at that, you know, three years ago. Yeah. Um, it's it's tough to be able to to um, kind of change the the thinking process of the committee to to put in another regional here in Orlando, but why not? I mean, if it, if it's that strong of a state and and we can we can have uh, opportunities to bring teams down here and and easy to fly into Orlando's a great place to be able to fly in and out of. Um, why not have a have another site here? And um, so you know we're definitely working on that. We have to keep keep our program up and and be able to stay in that top twenty five and be able to to compete against those regions to be able to have that happen, but I definitely think that's down the road is, is that's possible. Yeah, no, and it's changed, and you're arriving, helped that, Tim Walton's arrival to Gainesville, I mean, yeah. that's kind of the arrival of all of you coming in around the same time frame, really helped this state grow, I thought, from a sports standpoint, whereas I think, but prior to that, obviously Joanne Graff at Florida State had sure. her success, but other than that, there really wasn't a lot of talk in softball in the state of Florida, let alone in the South as well, because obviously it was a West Coast sport at that time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you look across the board from, from South Florida and us being in the same conference, which yeah. is very tough, um, to, to Florida and Florida State. Um, you know, FAU and FIU are always competitive every year. You have North Florida and, and Florida Gulf Coast. Yep. You know, every every program you see that is, is that is visual. We got thirteen. Am I right? Thirteen Division yeah. One no, universities yeah, yeah. here in Florida. So it is a it is a. a, a opportunity for us to really sure. be showing off and, and being able to show how strong Florida is to be able to host that. 
you mentioned the American Conference. It's in Tampa this year, the conference championship. Uh, I recently talked to Coach Barfield at Tulsa, and he's excited from a conference standpoint because he feels like a lot of people come and bringing a lot of players back. Last year, there was a lot of transition. Obviously, he mentioned, obviously, for example, we obviously had rebuilt, replaced Shelby. USF can had to replace his pitching. Now everybody's bringing their pitching back. Houston's bringing their pitching back. So right. he feels that as a league, you could get back to being a three-bid league like you were in 2016 and 2014. Has that been a, a consistent conversation among the league? Yeah, and I think that's always been our goal. You know, we, we want to get three and possibly four teams in, yeah. into that regional. And I think we have the competitiveness in this conference to be able to do that. Um, like you said, between Tulsa and Houston and, and South Florida and ourselves, I mean, it, that's a really tough um, mix of teams that are always competing, at least in the top 40. You know, you, you got one of us in the top 40 every year. Um, so it, it's, you know, Tulsa got preseason top 25. Yep. So you, you know we have the strength in our conference to do that. It's, it's a matter of, of being able to show win-loss record yep. and, and having the right RPIs to make sure that we're, we're all doing what we need to, to to have that boat. League added Wichita State, too, which was recently in the NCAA tournament in 2016, too. So right. you had a little extra depth there as Absolutely. an team member now in the league. Two quick things. People have always asked me about this as well, so I'll ask it. Who was your big influence in getting into coaching softball and playing softball? Oh, wow. Um, probably my high school coach, uh, Rick Dillinger. I mean, he yeah. he's the one that started me as a pitcher. Um, yeah. You know, he said that he needed somebody that was that was uh, big, strong, and ugly so they wouldn't have boyfriends. <laughs> so I guess that's how I started. Um, but, you know, he's one of my, my I mean, still to the day, I, I call him and talk to him all the time, and, and we joke about that and how you start as a as a 14-year-old and pitching for the first time. Now you're seeing kids at five- and six-year-olds that are starting to pitch. But, um, you know, we didn't have high school ball, you know, ball was the only thing we didn't have anything before high school, so um, Rick Dillinger was just a, a huge influence influence on me on, on not only in high school, but getting me an opportunity to play in college. Um, he helped me find a scholarship to go to Kirkwood Community College, and then from there was was able to help me um, find the scholarship at West Texas State, where I where I played um, my final two years, um, and he's just been influenced, you talked to him, you know, Every week, you know, we, we talk sports, we talk softball. He's got a daughter that he wants me to recruit, and that's ten years old right now, and and I'm thinking about it because uh, she's going to be pretty good. You know, his his son is my godson, and that's how close our families wow. are. And and uh, my godson's daughter is pretty darn good, so uh, you know, may have to stay in this a few more there years to to get her here with me. And then, what got you into coaching? Um, you know, it's funny. Melinda Fisher actually gave me my first opportunity at Illinois State. Um, she she was a um, just a great coach and admired everything she did. And, and my husband was actually at Illinois State uh, um, coaching football at that time. And um, they were needing a volunteer pitching coach. So I came on board and kind of helped her out. And, and one thing led to another. Got the job at Joliet Junior College as the basketball softball coach. Um, and then got the job at Bradley University and then up at Texas Tech. And, um, you know, if it hadn't been for Melinda giving that opportunity to step into that as a coach and, and get an experience and realizing it was definitely something I loved doing, um, I, I probably won't be here today. So, yeah, wow. she's, she definitely helped me out in that aspect. Uh, that's exciting. That's good to know. See, people wanted to know. Now you know. Uh, last thing. Now you're getting ready to start the season. You're going to start off Friday, open against Louisville. You're going to play Butler. You're playing Providence, Illinois, North Carolina, up at the Friends of Jacqueline Invitational. What's going to be the keys for your team to accomplish the goals you've set internally, not just this weekend, but beyond as the season develops? Well, we're, we're really focused. As young as we are, really focusing on, on just playing our game. We, we have a game within the game, and, and we know what we're trying to accomplish with our on-base percentages and our production outs and and really staying with within um, our focus um, the, the teams we're facing you know, are going to be good competition we, we know that going into it we're, we've got them 
you know, working on, on what we need to do to take care of that side of it. But for our players, their job is to focus on what they can do at the moment and, and really focus on that one pitch at a time that you hear all the time. But it's it's so true on, on being able to stay as focused and as, as mentally tough as you can and, and realize that when, when um, you know, situations happen that, that you're not um, ready for, that you just have that tenacity to just keep moving forward. And, and uh, that's what this team's about. I think they're, they're a team that, um, in fact, this last weekend we just – built a brick wall so um, put our names on it and and it's it's part of our growth and it's part of our um, stability it's part of our strength as part of um, who we are as a team and and what we're expecting to do for the season is just being there for each other and 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 building every day to to get better and you got the staff obviously helping you trina prater is new comes in uh all-american player at lsu npf career tremendous uh, speaks for itself sec player of the year has been an assistant been a head coach it's really been a nice comfort fit here i could tell from being around and obviously you got tiff tiff jordan who's a hall of fame player at youngstown state played in the canadian youngs teams there uh she knows what she's doing so you got a staff here that's been that's played has coached it's got a lot of experience a lot of flexibility you got there oh uh, incredible staff um definitely blessed to have the staff i have right now they they work so hard for these players and so hard for this program and and they see what what we're all after. They they understand um, how to coach up these kids and and how to get them ready for this season and and what needs to happen to to put it all together. And um, you know they've got so much great experience between the two of them. It, it's it, it's so much fun to to be out there coaching every day because it's it's a new experience for all of us to to be together and kind of have the same heart and main means the same mindset that yeah. that we want from this program. And um, yeah, de- definitely blessed on that. In. Very high levels. Tiff Jordan obviously involved with the Canadian national right. team, involving in their process as they get set for international play as well in the Olympic down the road. She was part of the junior Canadian team this past summer up in Clearwater. So you got the reps there. You've kind of started to build a coaching tree there. We yeah. might have to sign that up at some point during the year. <laughs> you got Lindsay Anders, who's starting this year head coaching at Stratford up yep. in uh, Virginia. In fact, they're going to play in Florida this weekend to start their season. You got Mackenzie Hoon, who's up at Palm Beach Atlantic as assistant. Yep. You've got Shelby Turney, who's going to be in her second season at UNF. I could go on and on. There's a, it's a long list. All right, So I'm sorry if I left your names off the list. That's on me personally, so blame me on that. But we're, we're just, I mean, it's got to make you proud. you got a lot of former players and then coaches you've had here that have moved on to other places and have had success. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the thing with coaching. I mean, for, for me, my my uh, fondest memories and and my heart goes out when it when I know that we're doing the right thing by these players and by these coaches that we don't we don't stop them from loving this game. So if we're, we're getting them to where they want to coach and they understand that they're giving back in the process and they love this even after they graduate from UCF, then we're doing something right. And, and that's our ultimate goal as coaches is, is to have that happen. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, you're a big part of their, their success as well. We'll do that tree at some point. It's a long, <laughs> big list. Yeah, it'll take us a couple, couple years to put that one <laughs> some, together. It's a big one. Uh, Coach, <laughs> thanks for joining me here. Thank you, uh, Eric. Get ready. Good luck this season. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, Eric. All right, there it is. Thanks again to Coach Gillespie for uh, talking to me and putting up with me with, for now, let's see, since 2007, really, officially, she's been uh, putting up with me now. So I, I've interviewed <laughs> her for a long time. We've done this before. Uh, but look, I mean, uh, Jeff, as you heard in the interview there, it's a young team, but she's very excited. Obviously, getting Tamisha Glover back is huge. Uh, as we talked about, in, you know, she in, she got injured in the Houston series, and that hurt them big time from a uh, defense and offensive standpoint. So to get her back is huge. I, you know, and Aaliyah White, a year older, sophomore year, you know, you saw her up close. 
she really feels that she's, you know, she's got the confidence that you don't have when you're a freshman because you're still trying to figure things out. So uh, I'm very fascinated to see this team, uh, see how they, you know, kind of, you know, glue in with a young roster and with a tough schedule. And and we mentioned that tournament this weekend. Uh, you got it in front of you. I mean, you yeah. got Louisville, ACC, NCAA tournament team. Got they got to play North Providence. Butler, yeah. Uh, Keep going. Go ahead. Illinois, and then they wrap with North Carolina. Three NCAA tournament teams right off the bat in the opening weekend, and and uh, so they're going to learn a lot about themselves here in the opening weekend in, in, in a in a neutral field setting. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how this young team kind of handles itself. But I think there's a lot of upside. Um, and I mentioned in the interview, it reminds me a lot of the group when she had Mackenzie Otis, Ferris Sullivan, and, and Maddie Schroeder and Kaylee Novak, they were all together and they came on board in 2012. And then she added some Shelby Turnier uh, in 2013, among other pieces. And then she added the Yavaris in 2014. And they made that big run where they were a top 25 team in the country dominating the American Conference. I feel like she's in the mix of that. Next year's class, Jeff, next year's class is a the ranked 30th in the country by Flow Softball that ranks recruiting. You know, we're talking about signing day this week. Mm-hmm. Well, in softball, the recruiting class that will contribute to the 2019 team is the 30th ranked class in the country. It's one of the, on paper, it's one of the best classes UCF's ever had in softball. So the, the future is really bright with this team. It's just, if can they get a couple of these youngsters to kind of learn quickly here? This team could be very dangerous this year. And we talked about the shortstop position with Aaron Emanuel taking over for Brittany Solis. That'll be a key factor to see how good this team is uh, here in 2018. Yeah, so that opening tournament, by the way, is going to be in Longwood. So make sure you check yep. that out if you get the chance this weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, when I look back at last year, Eric, you know, I thought that that was an amazing coaching job by Coach Gillespie. When you think about that, they finished 29-23, and 11-7 in the league, considering all that they lost from the previous three years. Yep. And, you know, you're right. I, I think that's a great comparison. You know, kind of, this season kind of feels like it's setting up for the next big run. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Renee knows a, a thing or two about that. You know, she's only had two sub-500 seasons uh, since she started the program in 2002. Um, this should be a lot of fun. But, it, but you know, you and I both know, man, it always comes down to the pitching. Um, you know, can she get the arms around, uh, the extra arm or two around Aaliyah White? And will Aaliyah White continue to develop um, as well? That's always just a, it's always the big question mark. You know, it's, it's, we've seen years where it works and we've seen years where it doesn't. So, I mean, let me ask for your honest assessment real quick as we finish up. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, what do you think is the, what's considered a success and what would be considered a disappointment? You know, it's interesting. You mentioned last season. It was based. I mean, nobody wants to hear the term. They they won't admit it. They won't agree with this term. But I'll say it. It was a rebuilding transition year. You lost when you lose the most decorated player you've ever had in Shelby Turner. It was the first. Uh, you know, it was an All American, a top ten player of the year finalist throughout her career. She was a legend. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question about that. And now she's coaching at UNF, as we referred to. Uh, you lose her, and then you lose a, a Jessica Yavari who was a player of the year in the American Conference, one of the top power hitters. They've had top five in a lot of their offensive category. I mean, and McClowski, and I can go on and on. They lost a great group. You're starting over. And think about this. They had a lead in the seventh inning last year against Georgia, which they lost. They had a lead in the seventh inning twice against Houston that they lost. If they win the Houston series and win the Georgia game, 
Now you're talking about a 32-33 win team that probably finishes second in the American, which means they would have played Connecticut in Greenville instead of playing East Carolina in their own home stadium. So you're probably advancing deeper in the conference tournament. You probably slip into the NCAA tournament. That's how narrow the air is uh, in softball. So to me, what it's going to come down to this year is can they close some of those games that they need to close to put them over the, the top? and get themselves into the NCAA tournament. And if you look at the American Conference, Emily Watson is the player, the pitcher of the year. She's the best pitcher. She might be the best non-Power 5 pitcher in the country. Uh, And then you've got Savannah Heemner at Houston. Those are the top two pitchers going into the season. Can Aaliyah join that conversation? If she can, I think UCF will be right in the mix for the conference. The conference championship, by the way, is in Tampa where USF will host this year, the good thing for UCF from their perspective is you get to bus. They're going to finish the regular season at home on senior week, and then they get to bus to the conference tournament instead of taking a flight, you know, and connecting flights and all that stuff. You you don't have to worry about that. You can bus, and you can hope they have a lot of fan support. So if this team kind of grows in, you hope as the year goes on and starts kind of clicking by conference play and become a threat for the conference and slip into the tournament. That's, but it's, it's, it, you know, that being said, they got to stay healthy. You know, uh, if a one injury or two could, could derail that. So it's a very narrow margin. I don't, I think next year, Jeff, they have more room to play with. Cause they, I mentioned they got a top 30 class. I think next year is the big year where they take that big jump to being a top 25 team. But I think if, if the ball bounces, right, They'll be, they could be a tournament team this year. If the ball doesn't bounce right, then they might just miss out. It's that close. Yeah, it's tough. Well, we're going to see, again, I'm, I'm thinking about the pitching all the time. and, um, and It starts with that. You're right. Yeah. I mean, we, and obviously, look, we talked a lot about Aaliyah, but behind her, you've got Cameron Tony is back. Uh, Demare, the Canadian, is back. They've got a, a, a walk-on. It's really, a very fun story. Sierra Wood, she's back. You know, what do they get out of that group? You know, what do they get out of that group? And, and, you know, they're all, you know, the three of them are back, Tamara, Cameron, and, and Aaliyah. So they're all sophomores. But what did they learn from last year? And, and as I mentioned, I've talked to Shelby Turnier about this in the past. For young players, it sometimes takes them a year or two before it clicks mentally. Mm-hmm. So is this the year where it clicks for them, where they realize, oh, this is what I need to do. Oh, I get it now. Instead of like, oh, no, I don't know what to do, which sometimes happens as a freshman. You could tell them what to do. You could go through every practice you want in every scenario. But until they go through it in, you know, in live action, you don't know how they're going to react. And now that those three pitchers in particular, Demera, Cameron and Aliyah, have gone through this for a year. Does that make, you know, does it trigger for them? Does it click for them? This year, like it did for Shelby in her sophomore year, like it did for Allison Kime in her junior year, which was her second year at UCF. Mackenzie was Otis was unique in that she just came out of you know boom right from the get go and dominated as a freshman. Uh, but then she figures some things out by her junior year. It just takes, you know, it just sometimes it'll come, it'll trigger. And it's the same thing with position players like a Caitlin Jensen, who has a ton of talent, but is a freshman. So you got to be patient. So, we, we, you know, it might take them a while. I remember Cassidy Brewer in her freshman year, she was barely over, hitting over 100 for the first month of her freshman year. And there were fans calling for her to be benched. And then she hit a walk off. Uh, base hit to beat nationally ranked Utah. And from that point on, she took off. Mm-hmm. And, 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 she, and so it just takes a little thing for confidence sometimes. Uh, so patience is a key. I have to, uh, it's patience when you have youngsters here and, and you just kind of see when does that, you know, button trigger 
that that mentally and physically they just all of a sudden it starts to click. Well, let me go through the schedule real quick. You know, if you want to bounce yeah. around Central Florida to check out UCF softball to start the season, um, <laughs> again, like uh, like Coach and you, Eric mentioned, they're at the Friends of Jacqueline Invitational, which yeah. is, uh, I believe, that's at the is, is that at the Seminole County Softball Complex in Longwood. I believe so. Yeah, Friends yeah, they, they've read it. Yeah. Let me, good, good, good. Uh, all the details on UCFnights.com. It's a really good cause, as Coach mentioned in the interview. Uh, I will be there. I won't be broadcasting. We, there's no. I don't want to get into technical stuff, but there's just facility-wise, just not able to broadcast. But I'll be out there, so you can say hello and hang out with me, and, and yeah. that'll be fun. And you know, we can make fun of Jeff throughout the whole game, <laughs> which will be good. Um, the home <laughs> opener is Texas Tech on yes. Saturday the 17th, 3 o'clock, part of that Equinox weekend that you like to refer to. Yeah, the spring sports uh, there. <laughs> the, uh Yeah, so um, here's here's what it's at the uh, – it's February 9th through 11th in Winter yeah. Springs, actually, is what the release says, Soldiers Creek Park. Uh, That's what it's called, yeah. So, so it's Soldiers Creek Park, which um, – Soldiers Creek Park is off of uh, 1792 – South of Ronald Reagan, um, it's it's kind of over. It's kind of off of four nineteen. Like when you're up in Winter Springs, and like let's say you're you're going you're taking four thirty four from like Tuscaloosa Road, over by actually you know not far from where I live, uh, and you go north on four nineteen, like you're heading toward Longwood, and you go through the uh, four thirty four, like keeps going towards seventeen ninety two, and then four nineteen kind of splits off to the right. If you go up four nineteen to the right. Right before 1792, Soldiers Creek Park is on the left. So that's where that tournament's going to be taking place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, the rest of UCF's schedule, by the way, looks like this. They, um, they're heading down to Disney uh, for the D9 Invitational against Northern Iowa and LIU Brooklyn doubleheader on Friday, February 16th. And then they, they start, like you said, Eric, the uh, home schedule uh, at the softball complex February 17th, Saturday, with a pair of games. Texas Tech at 3, at FAMU at 5.30, and then they play again Monday against Hofstra um, at the UCF Softball Complex uh, for those three games. So that's how they open up the start, the uh, uh, home slate and Central Florida slate of the schedule before they go on the road for a couple weeks um, to Jacksonville and then to, out to San Diego, and they're not back home again until March the 6th. That's a Tuesday. All right. And like you said, for more on UCF Softball, make sure you follow them on uh, Twitter, UCF underscore Softball. Uh, and uh, UCFKnights.com uh, slash softball as well. Real quick, one more thing I want to hit on. By the way, we're hoping to have uh, some, some more stuff with baseball coming in the, com- in the next couple weeks. Stay tuned for us as well. have Brian Murphy talking about that. Um, last thing I wanted to hit is uh, National Signing Day. I know you're like, why are you holding it to the, to the end? And I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's kind of a dud now, Right. Uh, it, it, because we have the early signing period, you know, pretty much we knew everything that was that was taking place, and so, you know, UCF added a couple names on uh, on, na- on National Signing Day, but um, that was pretty much pretty much it. Uh, it. I think one one notable one notable uh, name was Kevon Ahmad from Colleyville, Texas. He's a wide receiver. Um, they're hoping that they'll that he'll maybe he'll kind of fill in in the uh, um, spots that are going to be left by you know guys like Traquan Smith. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six players added on um, Wednesday. Eric, is this the end of National Signing Day as we know it? 
don't know about it. It, it, it was interesting. It definitely didn't have the buzz, right? I mean, it was yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, like Georgia had the number one class in the country. They already had all their guys in by December. So, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of different people that follow this closely. Some people like the way this is now because, you know, some players just it just gets it over with. Some don't. I, know I don't know if they're going to the tweak coaches. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think as we know it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these guys were already going to come to UCF. Um, and look, I mean, nothing against it, nothing against people to cover it, but we, we overblow this stuff. We know every class is going to be the same. There's going to be certain guys that pan out. There's going to be certain guys that don't pan out. And then there's going to be guys that nobody even thinks will pan out that'll pan out, uh, i.e. Shaquem Griffin, who was a throw-in. In recruiting, he was a throw-in just to make sure that Shaquille Griffin would come, and Shaquille Griffin becomes now arguably the best defensive player in the history of the program. So, mm-hmm. I, I think we kind of overblow this. Josh Heupel got in; they got good talent in there. It's it, at the end of the day now. It's not about okay who they brought in; it's about okay do they fit, do they work out, do you coach them up? I think they're going to be fine. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I think that's the thing. They've got a good core coming back. It's not like this is a big class. And a lot of times the rankings get affected based on how the size of the class. If you don't have a big class, you're not going to get rated as high because you don't have as many bodies as, say, right. somebody else does. So uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of innuendo stuff. So I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't get overly up or down on either one of them. The one, you know, what's funny, what jumped out to me, I will say this Scott Frost. People said, what, what was one of the criticisms that people critiqued about, oh, you can't go to Nebraska? What was one of the criticisms that people said about why you can't coach at Nebraska, why Nebraska, quote-unquote, is not a good job? Because no, you can't recruit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we, guess what we they wanted, did? Yeah, they, they, they had a haul. <laughs> they, they got near top 25 class, uh, depending yeah. on what you look at. And uh, he got kids from California. He got kids from everywhere. So, well, I think I think uh, what everyone around here was scared of was it was he gonna was he gonna scoop up a bunch of Florida right. kids? And I'm actually looking at their 2018 EC. I, right. I see three, four, five kid, six kids from the state of Florida, including one from Orlando, Braxton Clark, who's a corner. Um, right. UCF, by contrast, had ten players from the state of Florida. Yeah. Out of the 19 that they signed, so. All um, that hoopla, all the hoopla in December, but, oh, he's recruiting while he's coaching us. And, eh, everybody got players. Everybody's got everybody, players. Yeah. Plus, you know, and, and that feeds into the narrative that I always like to talk about when it comes to recruiting is that you can't evaluate these classes right now. You have to evaluate right. them five years afterwards. And right. I got a piece going up on blackandgoldbanneret.com looking back at the recruiting class from five years ago, which was 2013. Uh, sort of reevaluating what what they were look you know what those kids were looked like based on uh, some of the uh, based on the rivals dot com rankings that are out there, and um, you'd be surprised you'd be surprised at how some of that panned out uh, in the uh, in the aftermath. So um, so yeah, I mean you know, the bottom line is uh, you know as a fan, I'm happy to see UCF still recruit uh, the state of Florida well. I mean I think that. UCF did so poorly in the state of Florida for so long under George O'Leary. You know, now it's, you know, to, to have at least, you know, to have more than half the class come from the state, you know, is still, uh, is still a big win um, for UCF. Not to mention a couple kids from Georgia. I, I saw, was it two kids come from Georgia in the uh, most recent uh, addition? 
Uh, only one kid from Orlando, but, you know, that's fine. He's still, still recruiting South Florida. That's where you want to be. So. Um, so we're hoping to have a little bit more on recruiting, uh, how it went in the last little bit. And, and you know, we're going to find out with this first class, you know, um, under Josh Heupel, what he's looking for. I know one thing, he's looking at a lot of offensive linemen. Because he added a he added a whole bunch. I think he had seven offensive line. I got four, five, six offensive linemen. So, um, yeah, I mean that's going to be a need going forward. So, anyway, that will do it for recruiting. Eric, what do you got coming up uh, this week? All right. So, I, as I mentioned, I'll be with softball. I will be out there uh, covering that tournament. It's an eighteen field. So. Uh, UCF's playing there. Obviously, they, you mentioned the games they're going to be playing against, but I'm also going to watch some other teams. UNF is playing there. Shelby's obviously in the coaching yeah. staff there. Jeff, you know, Shelf Counter. So I'm going to see some of them because I got to do some side work for Fast Pitch News, who I work for. And you mentioned on the national side, uh, softball. In fact, my latest Fast Pitch News softball podcast, which also will include this Coach Gillespie interview and uh, a, a lengthy season preview of the whole year. And, and I go in depth in the American Conference in that episode. Uh, among other conferences. So, you can, if, so if you're a softball fan and you're listening and you want to get more in-depth to see what UCF is kind of going to be competing against, you can listen to that episode uh, of In the Circle on Fast Pitch News. It's on fastpitchnews.com. So that'll be uh, that's up uh, right now. But I'll be out there. So hopefully you guys can say hello. And then uh, I have a American Digital Network broadcast coming up on Valentine's Night of All Nights as uh, myself and Despina Barton will be calling the USF women's team against SMU. So I'll get a look at USF before they come to Orlando to play UCF in that big war and I-4 game on the Sunday the 18th. I'll see them on Valentine's night as I'll be calling the game on the American Digital Network with Despina. So uh, I got a lot on my plate. <laughs> and yeah. then, oh, by the way, and then I got to get ready for the home opener in softball uh, even after that. So uh, it's a, it, the, 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 the times have become busy, as they say. Yeah. Well, I mean, here we are with the spring. We got our Equinox coming up and um, it's going to take a lot. So, uh, I will be, uh, I don't have anything going up, but I will be doing PA for that, uh, USF, um, women's basketball game, but that's on the 18th coming up. But, um, but yeah, like we said, we had, um, we had a lot of, uh, we, we've got a lot coming up here in the next uh, few weeks. We're hoping to see what basketball can do. We follow women's basketball really closely. And then of course, softball and baseball, we're really going to start ramping up our coverage here in the next a uh, couple weeks. One final note before we go. Congratulations to DJ Killings, uh, who uh, obviously graduated from UCF, was a part of the 2013 recruiting class, finished up in 2016, landed on the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a Super Bowl champion. So congrats to DJ uh, on what was uh, exciting, exciting and uh, football uh, football game in uh, Super Bowl 52. Uh, yet another UCF player. With a Super Bowl ring, so congrats, DJ. Let's wrap it up. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Brian Murphy at uh, Spokes underscore Murphy and Derek Gordon at underscore DS Warden. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you later on next week.